it's all about the journey. It's all about the journey, baby. Welcome to the On the Way to New Work podcast. My name is Michael Troutman. I'm here not with my partner Christoph Magnussen, but I'm here with an old friend and our guest today, Gordon Bone, who's the founder of McGarry Bone. I'm happy to be here in your office. I'm glad to have you in my office. Thank you so much for taking the time. We always start our podcast with an introduction of our guests. So if, if, uh, if it's okay for you, just tell us where are you from? How did you come into the advertising industry and what was your way so far? I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. I grew up in the Mountain West uh, of the United States, and um, I didn't start out trying to be an advertising guy. I, st I started out thinking I was going to teach English literature um, at the University of Utah. And then in the last year, uh, as I was pursuing my degree going on to graduate school, I thought I took a class called Creativity and Advertising just for fun. It looked like fun. The professor came up to me afterwards and said, you're the best student we've ever had. You should really try to get a job in advertising. I went to New York for the summer, and then I got a job immediately, the first place that I went uh, at J. Walter Thompson. So this was your For about first. 12 cents a year, but nevertheless, they did hire me. <laughs> so what was the first agency, and uh, what was your first job? I was a copywriter at J. Walter Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on very American accounts like Oscar Mayer, which is Oscar Mayer hot dogs, if you know, uh, 7-Up, which is a soft drink, um, and a number of other kind of Midwestern brands. It was at actually J. Walter Thompson in Chicago, and um, kind of got to know the heartland of America that way. And, and uh, how was it? I mean, ca coming from this beautiful part of America where probably other things uh, where you're major activities than doing advertising to, to end up in an agency. Was it a shock or was it somehow that you felt you know, well? Um, I grew up in the Rocky Mountains with you know horses and hiking and suddenly I was in flat middle America where the tallest thing in the whole area was the building I worked in. So it was very, very different. Um, and I came from a land that was very dry and very desert. Um, and very wildlife, and suddenly I was in the Midwest, which is humid and hot in the summer and freezing and windy in the winter. But the, um, but that it didn't matter because the advertising business was so interesting to me in the sense that you get to create from nothing something and to sit at a piece of paper and have the potential of something that you've made up out of the top of your head that suddenly you are on a set and you're picking a cast and then you're picking a wardrobe and you're picking a set and you're choosing some music and you're trying to cut that down to 30 seconds or 60 seconds or two minutes even at the time and then you are working with a director that you possibly thought you might only see on a feature film somewhere as a viewer and you're suddenly sitting next to them was really sort of delicious and scary and satisfying and um and left you both hungry for more and a desire to um, not, you know, at least in my standpoint, from my standpoint, I never was really thinking about my career in terms of advancing my career. I was just having so much fun doing it that obviously in the doing of it um, received some recognition and then it just was ended up doing more of it. But um, I never really thought of it as a career. It just ended up that way. 
That's cool. And wh when did you realize that you have the chance to become a a star in your industry? Was it from the from the beginning that you really could see well? I'm among the top one or two percent. Or when did it start that you really um, saw your potential, or others saw your potential? You know, I don't even think of myself as a star. Other people think that I'm oh, a star. I don't think that. I think that I am a star because people that work for me are brilliant, and I think the people that work for me are stars. And because my name happens to be on the door, I end up getting, you know, probably more credit than I deserve. And um, but at the same time, um, the privilege of working with people that are funny and smart and um, talented, and they'll walk in with ideas, and and I'll I'll think, wow, you thought of that overnight? That is just completely remarkable. <laughs> uh, and so. You know, I've had my share of success, certainly personally, but um, but in the end, it's not my job to be famous. That's not my job. My job is to make my clients famous. That's that's And, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's my job. Between having your name on the door and and your first job, there were some other uh, episodes of your life. Maybe you you you, you tell me what was your Well, I, I started, I, you know, I, I worked in advertising for uh, a number of years. I, I kind of had my big break in New York when American Express was looking for a new campaign. Mm -hmm. And I was um, a brand new person at Ogilvy and Mather. And um, had, was looking at my American Express card one night and it said Member Sense on it. And I thought, oh, I know what to do. I'll make it into a club. And wrote a line called Membership Has Its Privileges and hired Annie Leibovitz to photograph the 200 most interesting members in the world. And um, it became Campaign of the Decade and a whole bunch of other things. But in the end, it was because the brand was so remarkable in terms of American Express that I could actually do that and they would actually buy into it. Um, but after that, I, I did a number of things. But I, I left um, advertising to go back to Salt Lake City to be the creative director of the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. And I had put myself through, uh, you know, uh, college skiing every single Friday. And it happens to be uh, one sport that I really adore, the freedom of it and the, the, the crispness of it and the whiteness of it. And I, I, so I got to go turn that into the Olympics, you know, which was really fun. It's really fun to have a $40 million budget for an opening ceremony, although, which was the biggest budget I'd ever had. But then when I looked at, went to the Olympics in Beijing and they had a billion dollar budget, it made my little budget <laughs> look kind of tiny. Oh, but, but we, you know, working with the team there, we did win seven Emmy Awards and, and it was really exciting to be promoting in the best of senses the Olympics and world unity and and uh, all the things the Olympic stands for, so that how, was fun. How, how did you organize this? So, I mean, it's a totally new thing to, coming from an agency to, to create something uh, without any infrastructure, so you had to hire people, you had to build up your team. Uh, how did you do this? And well, how long I didn't, did it take you? I didn't, I wasn't head of the organizing committee, mm -hmm. I was the creative director, so yeah. the head of the organizing committee for Salt Lake City was Mitt Romney, who mm -hmm. you probably know ran for mm -hmm. President of the United States, but before that he was brought in to... Um, had the organizing committee and I was brought in to do the creative side 
and we hired a production company out of Los Angeles. Um, so it wasn't really much different for me in terms of advertising. Mm -hmm. Write a theme, create some graphics, um, <laughs> expand it, you know, make sure they work across all the venues, um, create a theme line for the opening ceremonies, that kind of thing. And how long did it take you, the project? Was it... It was a year. A year. Yeah. And and after this year, you you decided to go back to 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 agency. Was it the? Well, it was weird, and you probably remember. Um, it was something we could never have expected, which was that September 11th happened in the middle of that, and the Olympic ceremonies was when. Um, the flag that flew at September 11th over the World Trade Center um, was brought into the Olympic, it was the only thing, one of the few things to survive. It was brought into the stadium uh, at, as part of the opening ceremonies. America was kind of in mourning. It was only three months after the attacks. And so it was a very emotional event, as you mm. can imagine. Absolutely. And, um, and so then after that, um, I was asked to, I came back to New York to, uh, and a good friend of mine who used to work at Young and Rubicam, where I had worked uh, previously, wanted to start an ad agency. And interestingly enough, um, Verizon, which is the largest telecom in the United States, um, was right next to Ground Zero, and they had lost employees in the tax on New York City, and they wanted to do a tribute, but they didn't know what to do, and my partner, John McGarry, knew the chairman of Verizon, and we offered to do the tribute, and we created a tribute, which was the first 90-second commercial to ever run on 60 Minutes, which was the week before September 11th, and it just so happened that the networks had nothing to run because all the advertisers canceled all their advertising and we had the only ad that one that oh. ran the entire week and so we were birthed as an advertising agency based on this one particular commercial which was basically about heroizing children and humanizing the statue of liberty and looking to the hope of the future with um Josh Groban singing the prayer behind it, and it was a huge hit. Um, the phone lines went down for Verizon. They had tens of thousands of calls. Um, it was much awarded by President Bush at the time, and we sort of got our start then, and um, went on from Verizon to build an advertising agency after that. And that was and I 15 think years the, ago. The 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 special one special thing with this is uh, when when I started my agency together with my first partner Andre, I was 39, and I thought I oh wow, this is very old to start an agency with 39. My partner was 42, but you were I think you were 50 and your partner was 60. Yeah, uh, and I think true. this is a very good decision um, because you really know what you're talking about. You really did all these things. You you know how to treat people right. And um, I think when I, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but you did one of the, or if not the fastest growing advertising story in, in your country, Is, or wasn't it like this? It was. They, they say we're the fastest growing agency in the history of Madison Avenue. We've been agency of the year a number of times. Um, it certainly shocked me, I have to say. I didn't, I didn't plan on it. Um, we just wanted to do 
good work. Some great work. We're going to work with some great people and have some terrific clients and believe in what we're doing and have some fun. Um, and it turned out some other people wanted to do that too. So now uh, it's it's odd to see your name in a number of countries around the world. But I think it hasn't changed that much. And what I mean by that is it's still a small group of people incredibly committed to the, um, each other and to the clients that we serve. And um, and I think it, I, I consider it really a stewardship to take care of these brands that we shepherd. Um, that means something to consumers. So, um, you know, I, a lot of people say advertising, you know, it's not brain surgery, it doesn't matter. And I, I feel the opposite. I feel that the images that we see in the world matter in terms of they do for my children at least, what they think the world is all about, what matters in the world, does love matter, does caring matter, what are the values that shape our societies. And Advertising is part of that, as is feature film, as is music, as a lot of other things in pop culture, and, and we're part of it, and we try to do messages that are, that are meaningful and which are um, kind of fun. Mm. Many people who, who start their own agency, uh, they, they said to me when I started uh, that they wanted to do special things totally different. So they, they said, well, I learned this and this and that, I like this, but I did not like this in the, my old agency, so I want to do it this way. Did you have something where you say, well, you, 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 you did it differently than you did it in your jobs before? You know, I, I don't know that we did it differently in the sense that we certainly didn't sit out and say we're smarter or we have a new process that's different. No. I think it's quite simple. I think our own, only inventory is our people. So the bottom line is he who gets the best people uh, cumulatively wins. So therefore the question is how do you get the best people? In my view you get the best people by having the best culture. And it's a culture of love rather than fear. It's a culture of mutual respect. It's a culture of teamwork rather than it's, it's we, 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 not I, I, I. And I think that we trying to create a very collaborative environment that puts our clients at the center rather than us at the center. And we really try to play the long game. So I think that that has been very successful for us. Um, we, we keep our clients longer than most people do. We grow our clients internally. But more important, I think we our staff stays. And I have people that, like Jennifer Zimmerman, my head of strategy, was employee number six. And um, that was 15 years ago, and she's still here, and she could get a job anywhere in the world probably, but she stays, um, and I would do anything for her and vice versa, for example, because um, she's not only a genius, but um, as large as her brain is, her heart is even larger, and we're a very heart-driven organization as much as we use our heads. We, use, we, we really do care about our clients, and we really care about the messages, and I try to look to the consumer, as corny as it sounds, with respect and with a good degree of love towards people that are my mom and my dad and my grandma and my kids, and and we try to create messaging. They would be proud that we did, you know? We try to do that anyway. I remember when we met first, you, you told me a story of uh, a long pitch, and there was one one um, lady in your team, She she had a weekend plan with her husband where she were working and working and working and, and uh, she wanted to skip this weekend for, for the pitch and you then, I don't remember, but uh, the way you were describing the situation was so, well, this is, this is very seldom that, that uh, 
that a CEO, CEO, a chief creative officer, CEO of a company is, is treating his people this way. So um, I, I have the feeling you're not just saying it, you're really living it. And, and uh, did, you, did you learn this during your old jobs? Did you have uh, bosses who treated you this way or... I think I was, you know, I most, sometimes we learn from people who did things the right way and we emulate them. And sometimes we learn from people who did things the wrong way and we realized on the receiving end of it that we didn't feel good about it. And I've been on both sides, but I have recognized that um, I had a, my initial, my first client, for example, at American Express was such a remarkable human being that I worked on him. Worked, network, I, worked, I worked for him on Christmas Eve, mm -hmm. and he couldn't have asked me to do it. He didn't ask me to do it. I did it because he had a board meeting, and I cared about him, and, and I wanted him to succeed. And my wife was totally fine with it because she liked him too. Um, so I think that we're heart-driven, and you cannot, you cannot force people to give their hearts. You can ask for their brains. You can ask for their commitment. You can ask for their hours. You can't ask for their passion. They give that. And we're a passion-driven organization, so therefore we try to create an environment of trust and respect. And, um, and as corny as it sounds, I ask, I walked in on a, a conversation with a new employee where one of the more senior employees was, said, well, what's the defining value of McGarry Bowen? And this person just said, Love. I love the people I work with. And, you know, and it's sort of like when you're in advertising, you can't win as a separate entity. It's like you're in a foxhole and you have to work together or you don't win. So it forces people to work together. And in the working together, you learn to at three in the morning when you're working together and eating cold pizza, you learn to really love the people you work with and you just stand by each other. And, and in the end, you, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but in the losing, you even win because you have bonded with and you'll win the next one. So it's fine. Yeah, very nice. Um, you decided on your way during your uh, way with your agency to sell the agency to, to a large Japanese group called Tensu. So what was the reason for this and how was the way since then? I mean, you, the, the company is now really international. It's very big. You have a very special way of working together, not the traditional way other holding companies are working. Maybe you explain this a little bit. Well, I think a couple of things. First is um, when you found a company in any business besides advertising, if you grow it all, you you make money and then you pour it back into the business and then you make and then you grow some more and you make money and you pour it back into the business so you never make any money because you're always pouring it back into the business which we made enough money that it was totally fine but what happened unfortunately in our business is that the big american brands that we represented whether it was Verizon or Disney or Kraft or uh, Mondelez or any of these big giant Procter and Gamble etc They were expanding not in the United States, where we had offices, but globally. And we needed to globalize in order to serve our clients because they were launching brands around the world. China was exploding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we needed to capitalize our company to serve our clients. We didn't have the money to do it. So because we'd been agents of the year a couple of times, because we had this huge client base that was the blue chip clients of America, Everybody wanted to buy us, so the only question was who 
we wanted to be bought by because we wanted people who appreciated our values, um, who would not destroy our company, who would not take the assets and break them up, would treat our people fairly. And we interviewed all of the holding companies and we thought the Japanese were the best because they're Japanese, frankly. They were honor-based. They, they were really um, play the long game. They, they are also very client-focused, um, and they're not greedy. Um, of course, they're smart. They, they like to we're a for-profit company, but, but not at the expense of the people, nor in a way, or more important, at the expense of the clients. So we really liked them. Of course, you, you, know, you always think, you know, in the wooing process, what's going to happen when you actually get married? And I think the only proof is in the pudding, which is that was seven years ago, and I'm still here. And I would say the same things about the holding company now that I, that I thought then, which is they're incredible. They give us all the support that we need, um, and they stand back and embrace us when we need their help and applaud when we succeed. And I couldn't ask for more than that. I don't think of it as a holding company. I think of it as a parent company, and mm-hmm. they're a very mm-hmm. good parent. That's nice. And we try to be a good child. <laughs> <laughs> um, your your working model is is, is different. Now you 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 don't you don't in this holding or in this parent company. So you you uh, it's it's not that we have lots of different advertising agencies, lots of different media agencies. You have uh, you have they ha- they acquired more or less one top com- company out of each discipline. Is this right? And you work more more in a horizontal way uh, how would you describe it well i think if i go back to what i said before we the only thing that we can sell to our clients is the is the best ideas and the best ideas come from human beings you know artificial intelligence hasn't caught up yet they're still idea based and so uh what we have found is that we uh, the holding company uh, the parent company i really should say or uh, the parent that holds you, how's that? Is that um, that people like to be the, the best at whatever discipline they are. It can be a digital discipline, it could be a content play, it could be you know, a web design play, it could be well, storytelling play, it could be long form, whatever. That these people ca- like, to ca- like to congregate in various communities or companies or whatever, and we try to bring the best of them together to serve a client in concentric circles. We believe that our strength, meaning we Gary Bowen, is the creation of what we call platform or big organizing ideas that can are kind of the largest of the if it was a you know, Russian dolls were the biggest Russian doll and all the dolls can fit inside of it because that's the kind of idea that we try to create. Um, so that it it can um, it can last for many, many years mm-hmm. and work horizontally and vertically. So that's kind of what, and that's doing. that's uh, this this um, idea of how work should be is then adapted from the whole Dentsu group. So they they follow your your way, or, or how how can I imagine this? I, because my yeah yeah, I yeah. think I think that's right. I mean, we're kind of the spine, mm-hmm. or we're the the bones, and then the flesh gets put on afterwards. It doesn't sound very pretty, does it? But nevertheless, um, you know, we create the backbone, we create the structure, we create the idea. Um, that then um, all the other entities are able to build upon and add their expertise to. Mm. And as I learned uh, 
that before we started this official podcast that you had such a successful last year maybe you just add some of your new clients you you want for the agency because i think it's very very uh, well, we've had a really amazing. remarkable year and um it it started with winning the largest um quote unquote fast food company uh, in the world which is subway uh, with almost 50,000 restaurants around the world that was very large for us and it was fully integrated uh, in that category and then shortly thereafter we were very fortunate that um, a previous client of mine American Express uh, we became the lead creative agency for which is a global assignment and um, I've carried an American Express card all of my life so therefore it's um, and I worked on the brand previously so that was really um, exciting for us um, and then uh, most recently we've won three or four other pieces of business that that have come in the door almost in rapid succession every two weeks and so you know agencies love to win we don't um, it's like a you know it's like a football game or a basketball game it's just as much work to lose as it is to <laughs> as it is it is to win so yeah. when you do win it's really been nice and we have we've been on something of a winning streak lately and and it's um very energizing to the staff wow you've been in our offices there we have all glass offices and uh you can feel the energy when you walk around yeah. people are just excited i mean you have you have i think one of the most iconic or you're sitting in one of the most iconic buildings of new york so i i was following this building since i think 20 years whenever i was here i would, was taking pictures because i was always asking myself what is in this building and it's not just you it's uh Uh, Martha Stewart is here. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have a lot of famous companies in this building. But, you know, I, it's so funny that you would say that because I used to go down the West Side Highway and I'd always see this building because it was so remarkable. And I'd look at it and think, I wonder who's in that building. Never, mm. ever, of mm. course, thinking I would ever own a company and never, of course, thinking that I would ever work in the building. But when we were looking for space, it was like, well, let's go over there. And we wanted three things, which I think that maybe not of interest to your audience, but in New York it matters, which is because we're a vertical city, um, we have 16-foot ceilings, which is really nice with, with big windows around. Number two, I wanted outdoor space, um, and we have seven terraces where we have barbecues in the summer. They're completely wired, so people can work out you know, on the terraces uh, in the summer uh, uh, when, they, when they come in. And um, it's and I really wanted to have natural light. I I wanted people not to be sitting under fluorescent lights all day long, which I think are very unhealthy and not particularly friendly. And so we, you know, if you look around right now, there's not a single light on practically in the place because it's all filled with light. And we're surrounded. We've got the the you know the river. Hudson River right outside and we we watch the tugboats and the ships go up and down the river all day long. We also watched the Eastern Airlines jet crash into the river from here as well. So wow, yeah. we've seen a lot of things. I think it, it is important for, for our, our podcast listeners because um, some of them decide not to work in an office anymore because they don't like their office. So they decide to work remote. But um, many people still love to, to work in an office, to be together with colleagues. And uh, I think to, to create a, a workspace which is like yours is, 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 is essential and is a real uh, a factor which we uh, could 
could keep people. So we, we did the same in Hamburg. You saw our office. It's much smaller, but we, we have terraces as well. We have light. We have windows. Um, uh, a very good location. I believe it's it's uh, central. Well, you know, it's funny you would say that. I was in awe of your offices in Hamburg and that incredible view of the ships and the river and uh, et cetera. But I... Uh, you know, one of the things, at least in our business, you have to remember is these kids come in from all over the United States and sometimes all over the world. They come into New York. They're not making a lot of money. It's outrageously expensive. And um, they come into the agency on the weekends and they watch TV and they uh, they sit out on the terraces because they can't afford to have a terrace at their apartment at yeah. this point in their lives. So you allow them to come on the weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah. They can come anytime they want. And so they hang out and they... They'll work on the weekend and um, or, you know, sometimes come in and do not work from their desks or whatever they're doing. I don't care. Uh, and um, and it's and it's nice for them as they're sort of home away from home. But it's also a little community. We we have communal space that people can um, hang out into. So it's nice. Yeah. So uh, I, I've learned that you beside your role, you still have for your agency. You you are involved in, in, in some more projects. Won't call it side projects, but uh, other projects. Um, maybe may we hear a little bit about them, or is this well, you know, I I think every creative director has some things on the side uh, that they're passionate about. I happen to be very passionate about a number of things, but um, I have a couple of feature film things that I'm very very interested in that are projects that I'd love to get going, and I'm working on on the side. I'm um, very committed to the community that I grew up in, mm -hmm. and I'm working very hard on some humanitarian um, things. My children are both going, um, in fact, uh, this summer uh, to work in um, uh, in in camps, if you will, in various places in the world. Um, two years ago, we were actually on Easter Sunday in the middle of Ethiopia, um, washing the feet of, of people who had leprosy. And of course, being on Easter Sunday, and I'll cry right now thinking about it, but it was very moving experience and um, to, to be there. And I, I think marketing people have a responsibility or perhaps a gift to be able to make service and serving other people not only a part of life, but desirable or or show it in a way that makes people want to do it. And so one of the reasons I like to do things like this is that I can put a marketing head onto it and sort of help organizations that are in need of marketing but couldn't really afford it the way that a major co uh, company might is I do those for free so that I can help these organizations. And I do some for the arts, I do some for humanitarian things, I do some for my church. Um, and and I'm um, it, it's it's not it sounds a little pat myself on the back it's really not it's I've just been so blessed in life by uh, to have this incredible life filled around with wonderful people um, and to you know who gets to spend a life creating ideas you know and bringing them to life who gets to do that so um, so it's it's time to give back and I'm glad to get to do it very nice. If you would give advice to, a, let's say, a 15-year-old girl or boy uh, about uh, their future, what, what would you focus on? I mean, you, you had or you have a very good view on, on what clients are needing. You have 
views on 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 social institutes what they are needing so you see what what politics are doing right now we had this phrase of artificial intelligence what are you expecting and what advice would this be to to young kids you know i I get a lot of kids in here and they or they know me or they know my children they they come you know they'll say well what do you do and how can I be you or how can I be more like you and and I I don't think it's changed I, I what I say to everyone is do not pursue money do not pursue money it will dry up if you pursue what you love then you will be good at it and if you were good at it the money will follow so just um uh let your heart tell you where to go and what you will love and it doesn't matter with a lot of money or a little money if you love what you're doing you will love it and therefore it will be enough money i think that you know interesting that there's a great book called the soul's code which i read a very long time ago and it 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 tells the story of great men and women um like an Isaac Perlman or whatever who at the age of three knew how to play you know the violin and but he 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 it was sort of written in him that he would know how to do this and he followed that dream now all, not all of us are Isaac Perlman but i i kind of have great respect as i go around the world for anyone in any field who is doing the very best that they can and um and so that's what i would say to anybody whatever it is you love just do it the best you can do it and you will love it and the money will come very nice um where do you get your inspiration from what kind of books do you read what what authors do you follow what what kind of music or literature what what is where did you get inspiration you know my father was a dj your father was, was a dj and he had the largest jazz collection west wow. of mississippi <laughs> and you know um he used to this is back when lps would come and i had five brothers and a sister and the lps would have come in the mail and he wouldn't be home from work yet so my brothers and i would take them and we would use them as one time frisbees and we would go out and throw them into the street just as far as they would go <laughs> and now i <laughs> think back of the tens of thousands of dollars worth of ella fitzgerald albums that my brothers and i as you know young boys you know turned into frisbees um we told my dad later and he laughed but it was many many years later i should say but i think that um you know for me i get inspiration in a lot of um places um i i happen to like almost every kind of music mm -hmm. that there is um except Hawaiian for some reason don't, <laughs> don't take me to a luau but i like um i like uh, it can be classic it can be almost anything mm -hmm. i'm just in awe of it maybe uh because it it's so much of the heart and it and it, it comes you know out of breath um i i see every kind of art that can be seen that comes through new york city or anytime i'm traveling around the world which is a lot um I go to every museum, I go to every show and I I just try to immerse in it. And then I'm very very fascinated by culture and particularly pop culture. When you have a client like Disney on one hand, you're paying attention to, you know, a client like a like a American Express, which is at the upper end of, you know, what does luxury look like today? Uh paying attention to that and 
and and um, uh, you know, as a writer, I think that writers are observers. You know, and um, part of my job is to shut my mouth and just sit in the corner and watch and listen, which I do a lot. And if you were to see me at a cocktail party, I'm the guy over in the corner listening to everyone else talk and whether and listen to what they talk about because. I'm interested in knowing, and it's how I learn what matters and what doesn't matter. Um, but I, uh, and or it could be at a cafe in Paris, or it could be anywhere, that I'm just kind of watching and and trying to pay attention to what we what we hold universally and what we hold um, individually. So we're all global in some way or another, but human beings are the same everywhere. They. They love their families. They love their wives. They love their children. They 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 want the best for the people that they love and care about, and um, and then it's just expressed in different ways. And I like seeing that and and exploring it and feeling it and hopefully adding some positive value. So I kind of you know advertising is a weird um, medium because you're dealing in film and you're dealing in music and you're dealing in a bit of theater and you're dealing with a bit of all of the art forms pulled into one. So I kind of am a, I maybe it's a jack of all trades and master of none or a master of one that's made up of a jack of many trades. But in the end, um, to be paid money that's an amalgamation of having to go to 15 different concerts is not a bad job. <laughs> so I kind of like that, you know? Very nice. Thank you so much, Gordon. This was an amazing talk to you and it's uh, um, yeah, a pleasure for me that we met each other and I do hope that we will see us again. Well, you know, may I say in my trips to Hamburg um, that I, I hadn't been to Hamburg until I went to Hamburg to meet you. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world and I didn't know it until I went and I can hardly wait to go uh, back whenever I go. In fact, I'm going back on Monday. And um, But my my times with you individually were always a great inspiration um, and I have great respect for the creativity that comes out of that city at least it's quite the, the creative showpiece and um, uh, for for Germany and for the world thank you so much it's all about the journey it's all about the